1: Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 150. To be a filmmaker, you have to lead. You have to be psychotic in your desire to do something. People always like the easy route. You always have to push to get something different. Danny Boyle.
2: Broadcasting from the back alley in
0: Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex
1: Ferrari. Welcome my indie film hustlers to the 150th episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Videoblocks. Now, if you guys are looking for stock footage, After Effects templates, motion graphics, Videoblocks is the site, man. I've been using them for years now. I use some clips of theirs in my movie This Is Meg for some stock footage, and this month alone, they're launching a new crazy collection of hundreds of new unreal clips, including space, virtual reality, deep water, fantasy, and sci-fi footage. All of that comes free with your subscription and it is a limited time. And you also get free 4K clips with your membership at no cost. And Videoblocks is now giving you seven days of free downloads. Download a ton of stuff for free. Check it out. See what's going on with it. And remember, whatever you download during those seven days is yours for free. Royalty free forever. So definitely give them a shot. So head over to Videoblocks.com forward slash Indie, I-N-D-I-E, that's videoblocks.com forward slash Indie for the Indie Film Hustle special discount price. And today's show is also sponsored by Distriber. If you guys are trying to get your movies or feature films or even shorts onto Netflix, Hulu, Google Play, iTunes, Fandango, or any of the major streaming services, Distriber finally lets you in without having to go through a traditional distributor. And you keep 100% of all the revenues and your rights. So if you want more information, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash sell my film. That's IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash sell my film. So guys, I know it has been a a bit of a a weak podcast schedule the last few weeks. It has been crazy for me. I've been trying to get at least one out, at least one out over the last couple weeks. Uh, But now I'm back. I'm still crazy, still busy, but I'm out of production now. I was uh, blessed to direct a new series for Legendary Pictures, Digital, and The Nerdist called The Space Program, which will be coming out, I think, in June sometime. And uh, it was a full eight-episode run of a show. Uh, I, I'm directing it. I'm doing all the editing, color grading, and so forth. It's a lot of fun, and I can't wait to uh, share what we did with you guys. It's a con- it, the, the show is basically a combination of Cosmos meets Mystery Science Theater. So it's a little bit of both, and we had an amazing set we worked with And I'm going to show you guys some behind the scenes of that coming up in the the months ahead. Uh, But anyway, I just wanted to give you guys an update on why it's been a little bit rough for me lately on Indie Film Hustle because I'm only one man. So keep a lookout for that. So today's guest not only has one of the coolest names ever, but a great story about how he made his movie and more importantly, how he is distributing it through iTunes and his marketing plan and how he got it up there and what he used and all that good stuff. So today's guest is writer-director Brad Rader. He's also an actor and he made an amazing little film called Kencho at the Bedfellow. I know, it's a very marketable name. <laughs> we actually joke about that in the, in the episode. But he's actually doing very well. It's done very well at the in the festival circuit. And now he launched it on iTunes and is also doing pretty well on it. So I wanted to bring this story to you guys so you guys could see how a movie can be made in the independent world and also brought all the way through to itunes and how he's marketing it and he has no major marquee stars in the movie he has great actors but no marquee stars the distributors are going to be jumping all over and we talk a little bit about that as well in the episode so without any further ado here's my conversation with brad Raider. i'd like to welcome to the show brad Raider. how you doing man
2: great alex how are you doing
1: i'm doing great man i'm doing great by the way you have an amazing voiceover uh, voice. I'm assuming you do some voiceover work as well?
2: You know, I haven't really gotten into it as much, although I recently did something, uh, this little series of industrials for Disney, where, um, you know, I kind of play this omniscient character that is warning all of the employees of Disney Worldwide about content protection. <laughs> And uh, I recently heard they're going to animate the character, so I'll finally get to do my my voiceover for that.
1: Dude, I'm telling you, it's you know as well as I do. It's it, that's easy, the easiest money in the industry. It's true. It's right? such easy money. I mean, you just go in, you record your voice. I mean, you got it's. I, I don't want to say it's like super easy in the sense like anyone could do it. But if you can get the work and you actually have a talent for it, my god, it's
2: great. Yeah, it's it's good work if you can get, it. and I've got a lot of buddies uh, who really they entered into the industry via the commercial and uh, voiceover mm-hmm. arena. And, right, you know, they're they're doing just fine,
1: <laughs> just just good. Anyway, yeah. sorry, audience, we kind of got on a, on a tangent there, but so, I'm
2: sure there will be many more tangents to come.
1: Yes, exactly. But uh, so, uh, Brad, uh, Brad is uh, an actor, a director. Uh, a producer, uh, a million other things. But before we even get started and everything, how did you get into the film business in general?
2: Well, you know, I've had a lifelong love affair with movies. I mean, my my entire life, my my childhood room was just covered in movie posters, Die Hard and Star Wars and Mm -hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark and all of the films of the 70s and 80s that most of us kind of, uh, were inspired by and Mm -hmm. got us into the industry in the first place. Um, and you know, as a kid, I would make little movies with friends and, uh, did so at summer camp. In fact, recently, um, you know, there's a Facebook page for this arts camp that I went to called long lake Mm -hmm. and someone unearthed this, uh, this, this film we made based on Raiders of the lost ark called adirondack jones (laughs) uh, you know i was 19 years old i had braces but i wore the fedora and this oversized leather jacket and um it's super fun to kind of see all of that stuff and see the journey uh, especially in light of my feature which uh, is just releasing so i've kind of been doing this a long time
1: you know what it's it's i mean you and i are both similar vintages so we uh it, it's true. When we get to this kind of point in our life, we kind of look back and go, "Well, shit, I've done a, I've done a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I've been doing this for a while."
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of like I, I like to think about it as a a really choiceless type of thing when you're an artist. It's yeah, kind of like I've got no other choice. I am compelled and obsessed. Uh, doing this kind of work. Is it me? I mean,
1: I, I've said this on the show a bunch of times. I've tried to jump off this ship because it's such a hard journey. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's, it's brutal. It's absolutely. And as an actor, I cannot even imagine what you guys yeah. go through. Yeah, I mean, it's even more brutal than for the other side of the camera.
2: So every I, you know, time I try to get out, they pull me back no, in. Right. Exactly.
1: It's like at a certain point, like I've tried to jump off and I'm like, ah, I just, what else am I going to do? Yeah, it's yeah. so I'm assuming that's similar for you. Like, have you had those moments of, you know, those, you know, Jesus moments? You just like, I, 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 I got to get out of this. And then oh, other times totally, it's just totally. and just like, oh, what the hell am I going to do? Go get a real job.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's so many ups and downs, uh, not just as an actor, but, um, you know, any artist, I think, really questions uh, why they're in it if they want to kind of stick with it for the long haul. Mm hmm. And, um, you know, going off into the wilderness and, and, uh, becoming a meditation teacher for a couple years, mm-hmm. um, certainly was an opportunity to explore other areas and I, I never really gave it up. I just kind of went on hiatus for a bit and it's amazing to look back now on how that journey, especially, uh, catalyzed this film. And and how I was kind of trying to make it and get it off the ground for years, it wasn't until I I just kind of stepped back and uh, focused on something else Mm -hmm. that I was then able to return and just hit the ground running.
1: You know what? And it's so funny you say that because you went off to the forest to meditate. I opened up a gourmet shop in Studio City. I love it, and that was my meditation for for three years, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I had my foot still in the business. But exactly, exactly what you just said—you like you, you know—gave me a moment to kind of go back, and then when I came back in, I came back with you know hit the ground running, and uh, I guess I guess I'm assuming it was pretty similar in the time frame as well. When you would, when you were off in the forest, I
2: was selling olive oil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yours uh, is much cooler. <laughs> it's 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 so interesting, and in a way, you just kind of sparked an idea, which it relates in the microcosm as well
3: mm-hmm.
2: of the day to day activity of mm-hmm. an artist or a mm-hmm. filmmaker,
3: mm-hmm.
2: because meditation, especially, or really any practice that Someone has to kind of cultivate presence of mind and peace of mind and creativity and adaptation energy. What is it other than stepping away from your day, you know, for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and re energizing yourself, kind of plugging into the wall and re inspiring um, your equanimity? Mm -hmm. So, I like to look at practices like that uh, to, because this, this gig can be so stressful. <laughs> and as filmmakers especially, we, can, we have the capacity to just work nonstop. And, because
1: you know, it's a passion. It's obsession.
2: That's yeah, why. Yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a really good recipe to get burnt out. So, you have to have this mechanism uh, by which you can step away and then return. you know it's like a, it's this vacillation of working intensely and then resting intensely
1: yeah, it, yeah. exactly it, absolutely absolutely um and it's just because i think we because we're so obsessed that people. Um, I think a lot of times take advantage of us <laughs> as filmmakers and artists because we're always obsessed. So, like, oh, they'll work for free, or they'll they'll kill themselves because they just want to be on the project or something like that. Um, <laughs>
2: right. Or in the distribution landscape, which I'm.
1: Oh, we'll, we we I will get into that. that. <laughs> oh, we will get into the distribution <laughs> oh, landscape we'll
2: there. Yeah. Oh, don't yeah. worry.
1: Uh, and you also went to NYU, uh, Tisch School for, uh, School for the Arts, right?
2: Yeah, I was at NYU, and um, it was. An amazing experience on so many levels, not least of which because of the colleagues that I met there. Mm-hmm. Um, some of whom I, I'm sure you know. I mean, we we've got so many friends in common.
1: It was actually kind of crazy when you were when you rattled off a bunch of people. Um, and that f- our, our first few emails together, I was like, Jesus, man, how do we not know each other?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, um, you know, the one of my closest friends and collaborators from NYU is a kid named James Roday.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: who's another multi hyphenate actor director. Uh, he started on a show called psych for mm-hmm. many years. Yeah. yeah, I know, And, yeah. um, you know, he and I run a theater company out here mm-hmm. and, uh, there's certainly a lot of amazing actors, uh, that have stayed in the business. Mm-hmm. that I met it at, at school, some of whom are in Ken show mm-hmm. in the movie that I just made. Uh, but also on the filmmaking side, you know, I was in school with uh, Kyle Newman and Brad Furman. Uh, there's a whole bunch of guys that are and, and girls who are working in the industry, and I'm so happy that they stuck with it because there's a, just a tremendous amount of, ta- of talent that, that comes out of these schools. Mm-hmm. But. As you know, the industry just kind of it beats you up a bit.
1: Oh, uh, not a bit, my friend. It is. It, <laughs> it, it it's like walking into a fight with Mayweather, and and you haven't worked out in twenty years yeah. <laughs> or ever thrown a punch. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: warfare.
1: It really it, no, it is, and and you know, I hate to use the I hate to use that kind of terminology, but it is like you are in the trenches and and all this kind of stuff is because it's true. It is. It is kind of a brutal business, and I think nowadays even more so because I mean, when you and I were coming up it was not nearly as competitive as it is now. I mean, now everybody's a filmmaker and everyone's an actor and everyone's got a YouTube page and everyone's got a Instagram with a million followers. And, and it's, it's a completely different world where we were on the edge. We weren't old. We're not old school. We're not like seventies, 80 filmmakers. We were growing up in that time watching those guys. So, you know, we're more nineties and early 2000 kind of filmmakers where, um, we had one foot in the old school and one foot in the new school. We're that weird generation that's a hybrid. We didn't grow up with all that technology and all that access, but we understood it. And we also mm-hmm. understood what it was like not to have that. So like I remember when I graduated college, I I hadn't even had an avid. They didn't even have an avid in there yet. I wow. was it, it was non-linear editing systems, yes, but an avid wasn't even there yet. So it was just on the on the on the cusp. So
2: uh, yeah, I mean, when when we were making our our little videos as kids, we mm-hmm. would hook up our two VCRs. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. There's always that like three and a half second delay. Oh yeah, you had to factor in when mm-hmm. you were editing.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, hit <laughs> record and play, and but were yeah. you? But you were you like a high end VHS editor? Did you use a composite or a component cable?
2: Oh well, you know, I, I graduated, <laughs> you know, from. <laughs> VHS to SVHS. Holy then, cow.
1: SVHS. Yeah. And
2: then, you know, <laughs> when uh, there was the optical audio input, that was all the rage. Holy cow. And then I really splurged <laughs> when uh, Mini DV came out. Stop I found, it. Stop yeah, it. Yeah. I found a deck that was, and I still have it at my parents' house. Uh, one side was VHS and the other side was Mini DV. And I was like, Stop oh my it. God, I can actually transfer. From VHS to mini TV. It's,
1: in, it's I know everybody listening now is like, wow, these guys are old. <laughs> but yes, uh, yes, let's, we'll go back down memory lane and at least we're not talking about A Track uh, and Beta at <laughs> right, this right, point. But right, right. though Beta is actually better than VHS, but. <laughs> it's terrible,
3: it's
1: terrible. <laughs> so let me ask you as an actor, because you've worn both hats as an actor and as a director, what do you look for when you're acting in a director?
2: That's a great question. Um, you know, you really want a collaborator. And uh, everybody's after the same thing. We're, we're trying to uh, capture the truth. And uh, I think a lot of times it depends uh, on the project itself. I mean, in some cases, you want a, a level of trust so that um, the director will will let the actor experiment, right? Mm -hmm. Because the director always is going to have an opinion. Uh, but when he or she is uh, collaborative enough to kind of let the actor run with it for a bit and then potentially steer him or her in another direction, that's always helpful because then you can kind of get more on the table and more ideas flowing, um, even if it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean improvising. But uh, there are so many different ways a scene can go. Mm-hmm. And the more that a director can um, articulate what the vision is and what the tone is especially. This is a, this is a really important point. Like understanding what the tone uh, globally of the project is. Um, but also what the tone of each individual scene is and, and how it fits into a larger context of what the film is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those are some kind of broad strokes. And then, you know, on set, uh, it's, it's all about communication and, I think, trust. And actors really want to know that they're being taken care of and protected. that they're right. yeah that they're they're being protected and they're able to relax and feel free and creative cuz when an actor feels just nervous or uh doesn't quite understand you know what is trying to be achieved
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, it just it just mucks up the creative process
1: yeah absolutely and and I think and a lot of times directors don't I mean, uh, directors and filmmakers don't realize that actors are putting themselves out there in a very raw way if they're doing it right uh, to find that truth and they're exposing themselves. And if they feel that there's you know, arrows being tossed at them left and right, they're going to shut down and put the defenses up. But if they yeah, that's true. But if they feel the director is creating a safe space for them to be able to do that where nothing is going to happen to them um, and they can freely play in that sandbox that the directors kind of put the directors the wall from everybody else around you and then then you guys can kind of play i think that's what makes a great collaboration do you agree
2: mm-hmm. absolutely yeah
1: now 100%. what now what did you what did you um why did you want to direct i mean it's crazy
2: <laughs> it, it's nuts it's, it's the, absolutely not the, the nuts. craziest thing that uh one <laughs> can decide to do <laughs> seriously uh, You know, I I had been working on this project, Ken Show at the Bedfellow, for many years. And there was Mm -hmm. a big learning curve in terms of writing the project. I had never written a screenplay before. I had made, at that point, um, four or five films, including Spring Break Lawyer, Mm -hmm. which was my first feature, Mm -hmm. uh, MTV, you know, where I played a kid who gets kicked out of law school and then uh, goes down to Spring Break and represents all the kids that that, uh, getting, getting in trouble. <laughs> it, you know, but, but. Did you direct, did you direct that or did you just start no, it? Yeah. It was my first movie, uh-huh. uh, you know, made for TV, sure. um, really silly comedy, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was, uh, I had made a, a few of those, a few smaller films and I really wanted to write something, um, as a vehicle for myself as an actor, you know, some of the TV work that I had done uh, had plateaued. Uh, that was kind of my bread and butter for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, TV pilots and canceled shows and mm-hmm. any uh, working class actor out here will will just have, you know, a, uh, a battlefield full of, of failed. <laughs> of course, projects. of course. So I uh, had been working on Kensho for a long time, and I didn't think that I would direct it, um, but I quickly learned that nobody would uh, it as I would. Mm-hmm. And I had a bunch of friends who had directed their, their own projects, and they really encouraged me to do so. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you know, I'll throw my hat in the ring. And I'm so glad I did. I mean, I, uh, I really got, got the bug and, um, it was an incredible experience, although not without its challenges.
1: I would, I would expect so, sir. (laughs)
2: Yeah. You know, we, we all did on the project. Um, we shot the thing for, you know, a a micro budget. It was a $200,000 movie and so many of the kind of tricks of the trade that we incorporated um, you know, I took Stolaroff's class and
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Mark Zerloff, yeah. friend of the yeah. show, friend of the show, no budget film school.
2: Tom Provost and yeah. uh, you know, all those guys really helped this journey. But in addition to all of their tactics, whether it's shooting in locations, of course, that you have, mm-hmm. and we went for broke. I mean, we we just we shot in thirty-five locations all over Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um and we can certainly get into kind of how we uh, we stole. Yeah, I was going to
1: say you stole all of them. Got gotcha. you.
2: Yeah, I mean, some, <laughs> a lot of them came from the meditation community, which is uh, they talk about you know working with your tribe and and having your tribe as your audience. And um, mm-hmm. oh yeah, after becoming a meditator. This was my tribe, and mm-hmm. I found that there were a lot of meditators uh, who were part of these amazing organizations and institutions and you know, the guy that created the high line
3: mm-hmm. is a meditator mm-hmm.
2: and I uh, said, Hey, listen, you know, we're making this movie. Can we shoot on the high line? And um, same happened with the Rubin museum where mm-hmm. we shot for a day.
1: Yeah. I saw uh, the, I saw the trailer. I mean, it looks really, I'm surprised it was so, such a low budget cause you have a lot of production value and the, whoever was your DP did a decent job. I mean, really good job. Uh, it yeah, looks good.
2: David Rodriguez is fantastic and he's he's a longtime collaborator, also mm-hmm. a meditator.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um you know, we were we were all meditating on set. My uh DP and Blake Brewer, my first A D, mm-hmm. who was also my lead producer, and that was another way we got away with all that we did, because uh it wasn't just me wearing multiple hats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having your first AD know. Uh, everything that a producer knows mm-hmm. was incredibly helpful I mean mm-hmm. he was just he was my right hand on the set the whole time mm-hmm. and um, so you know infusing the thing with a level of consciousness by either taking time out on set to meditate mm-hmm. or just having a supremely calm, efficient environment where a lot of the crew members were just super chill. And like Energizer Bunnies, that's how we were able to shoot 29 days. Wow. You know, 35 locations and two cities and 40 speaking roles.
1: (laughs) Jesus Christ. On paper, this is a a lunacy.
2: It was nuts. (laughs) It was nuts. And, um, you know, I think Sebastian, who also you know, yes, a
1: friend us. friend of the show.
3: Yeah,
2: Sebastian. <laughs> well, Sebastian's also a meditator, of course, and uh-huh. uh, a student. Um, he, I think, originally read the script uh, along with some others. And said, you know, you're nuts. You need to cut that, at least twenty pages. It, that that sounds exactly
1: name. what Sebastian would say because he's called. Yeah. Me, he's
2: called me nuts multiple times. <laughs> yeah, you need to. <laughs> get rid of 20 characters and uh, at least 20 locations and it may have been naivete on my part uh, or just hubris mm-hmm. to think that we could pull it off and it wasn't easy but uh <laughs> i think
1: we it, did i think it, you know with that kind of i mean look i i, I get con- i constantly get told you can't do that or yeah, you can't right. do that, and it was similar to what Robert Rodriguez. I mean, I always go back to Robert's one of my idols, uh, and everyone's like, "You can't shoot a, an action movie, you know, studio action movie for seven million bucks." Well, he did, nice. it, you know, and and it made it look like it was a thirty or forty million dollar movie. Mm-hmm. And it's until you're able to continuously break that mold, until people will just go, "Oh, it's it's him. He could do that," or "It's her. She could do that," because she's done it multiple times prior. Uh, Mark Duplass, for God's sakes, uh, and what yeah. they do, or Joe Swanberg, you know, you know, you can't direct six feature films in one year. Well, yes, he did, you know, <laughs> um, you know, so you can do that. Uh, it, It's just, it's, it's all about breaking that mold. But with that said, there is a, uh, would you agree to have a kind of strategic stupidity uh, in doing certain things? So like, you got to be smart about when you're going to go jump off that clip, be strategic about it and make sure you're not just going in there like, I've never been on a cliff. I've never jumped before. You know, right. <laughs> you I mean, yeah. you've obviously yeah. been around, you've been in movies for a while, you've been an actress, you've been on sets. So you weren't just literally fresh off the boat when you att- attempted to do this. So I want to make sure everybody understands that this, that you are a seasoned pro in yeah. a lot of other avenues of the business. But this was your first venture into this kind of business, this kind of, side yeah. of business.
2: I mean, I, I really wanted to surround myself with the best people that I could find. Uh, and when you're working at a price, oftentimes that means, uh, interviewing, interviewing and finding kids who really haven't had as much experience as you have. I mean, Mm -hmm. my production designer, this was her first feature, Mm -hmm. but she had, um, apprenticed a very well-known production designer and she was ready she was hungry mm-hmm. you know and so you you really have to make educated decisions um when you're working with such a little money um but you're right that it's preparation is everything you know you've got your preparation and your execution mm-hmm. Prep- the more you can prepare uh including and it's not just writing out your shot list and this is why meditation has been so important for me as an artist because you are prepping your nervous system and your consciousness band and your mind and body to dive in with abandon and uh, be able to execute a lot in a short amount of time and be highly accurate right? Mm -hmm. And also stay calm under pressure. There's something called the, the tripartite performance variable Mm -hmm. that, uh, (laughs) very,
1: very, 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 it just rolls off the tongue.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was, uh, there was a study done on meditation and this is something that went way up in meditators. It's like if you've got an archer, for example, can she be accurate and hit that bullseye, right? Eight times out of 10. Mm -hmm. You add the second variable. Can she do so very, very quickly? she hit that bullseye and do it fast? And then the third variable, can she hit that bullseye quickly and stay completely cool? This is the tripartite performance Mm -hmm. variable.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: So, you know, you put that in the context of Mm -hmm. a filmmaker, right, where you've got to shoot 9, 10, 12 pages in a day, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and not freak out when something goes awry, which it always will.
1: Every, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's just—it's called nature and human in human <laughs> nature. <Yeah. laughs> Both of those things combined, not a good, not a good thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, and so you know, preparing uh, becomes everything. Uh, there's there's a reason why the most famous book for actors is "An Actor Prepares." It's ninety mm-hmm. percent preparation so that when you get to that set and this is the case for a director as well who has a plan mm-hmm. you get to that set and you've prepared so much that you can just play you know you're just in the flow creating and playing and you've got your plan in the back of your head and the, the shot list and and the schedule mm-hmm. but you're able to bob and weave and just kind of play around with the actors and with the technicians and, and get what you need, but also get a ton of stuff that you'd never expected.
1: Yeah. It's always fascinating to me, like how, um, like the Duplass brothers and Lynn Shelton and, and, and Joe Swanberg, uh, they do their movies because they, I, I, I know from studying them that they, they do prepare and they have a very structured script, but they kind of just show up and just kind of flow with whatever happens Mm -hmm. whether that be in production whether that be in the actor's performance whether that be in the the improv of it all and uh you know i kind of went through that with my first feature this is meg and um it's interesting because i showed my movie to some very established directors and they're like i could never do that like that's scary as hell to me like i i can't not show up and not know what's going to happen that day
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but there is something very freeing about that do you agree
2: I do. I do. I think you want both things, right? I think you want to be prepared, um, you know, and be as obsessive as you want to be in knowing what you need to get to tell the story. Right. But uh, there's so much magic that happens in the moment and so many happy accidents, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to get to set and you're going to lose that location you've got to oh, be ready
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's <laughs> you know, going to rain or the power's out or someone right. didn't show up or <laughs>
2: <laughs> you've got to be ready to shoot the thing that you were planning on shooting in that, you know, uh, museum. Mm-hmm. You got to be ready to shoot it in the, in the alley. Right. If you have to.
1: <laughs> yep. Pretty, pretty um, much.
2: So I, I think, I think holding both things, um, that yin yang really is is key uh, preparation but also the nimbleness and adaptability of the present moment
1: yeah the, which is kind of i think half of what hitchcock used to do hitchcock used to be obviously the one of the most prepared directors of all time and and ben, but he would not flow on set like it had to be by the numbers a b c yeah. But he was also a master of what he was constructing. So it's, I guess it's a different style for every kind of um, filmmaker and artist in general. Yeah, true. N- now um, it's it, pronounced the name of your filming at Ken Show. Ken Show at the Bedfellow. So, so. obviously, very marketable name.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I mean, there's uh, there's always kind of a song and dance when I'm uh, exp- It goes something like this: Ken Show is a Zen Buddhist term that means awakening.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Ken is to see, and show means one's truest nature. Mm -hmm. So it translates as seeing one's truest nature, or to awaken. Uh The Bedfellow is a fictional hotel in Tribeca. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So we shot in and around the Duane Street Hotel, which is a real hotel in Tribeca, And um, we made it into the Bedfellow Hotel Mm -hmm. and built a sign and kind of put it over the signage of the Duane Street. And it looks fantastic. Uh, My art department did an amazing job. Um, So it's an existential drama uh, about a guy searching for fulfillment in all the wrong places. That's the log line. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been an odyssey (laughs) for my my main character uh he goes through an odyssey himself but making the thing uh well when was
1: the film finished it's been it was finished a while ago right
2: well we shot in 2013 okay uh in the fall of 2013 so 25 days in new york Mm -hmm. and then we promptly ran out of money <laughs> uh,
1: How did you finance it, by the way? How did you finance you know,
2: it? All in all, independent financing. You know, okay. All individual uh investors, friends and family, family. got, got it. and
1: uh, old school. Got it. Old Ed, school. Ed, yeah. Ed, Edward style. Edward style. Got it.
2: Right. And we <laughs> raised enough to shoot. Oh uh, yes. And we. The plan was always to do the crowdfunding campaign, which I certainly have opinions about. And I think there's a level of fatigue at this point, uh, with those types of campaigns. But the idea was to raise our through Indiegogo. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And so in the spring or a few months after we shot in New York, that's when we launched the campaign. Mm hmm. So we raised a little bit more money to not only shoot four more days, uh, but some more dough for post-production. Then we were in post all of 2014.
1: Why? Why was it so long?
2: Well, uh, there were a couple reasons. One was we have some extensive special effects. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Got (laughs) it. Another kind of thing that they say, you know, don't Don't do that film. Don't use special effects don't use kids or
1: dogs or animals
2: don't an animal right. all of which uh i threw into the mix
1: sure why not why not
2: oh. um you know i also opted for a completely original score
3: mm-hmm.
1: i
2: opted for something like nine needle drops uh you know music cues. oh
1: I jesus did. i oh, did
2: man. a 5.1 surround mix
1: sure of course you odin
2: with odin benitez Uh who uh is also a student and a meditator Uh and he brought in his whole sound team so we mixed at uh formosa Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um we mixed on the stage where they uh mixed the godfather sure why why not why not i went for broke with this
1: (laughs) no no you swung for the fences it sounds like you're swinging for the
2: fences on this one yeah So, the post production process was very long. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of ADR we had to do because shooting in New York is always tough. Um, And then we hit the festival circuit in 2015. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we played uh, six festivals, we won two best feature awards.
1: Nice. Uh, And these
2: are all kind of like niche festivals, like Conscious Cinema, which is. A term that uh, has been coined in in recent years for for movies that uh, are spiritual in nature or kind of examine uh, human like, consciousness and are hopeful and inspirational, but not necessarily documentaries and not necessarily faith based.
1: What is the what's that one, oh God, the um, that really famous one not the down nature? the no the down, no down the <clears throat> down the rabbit hole but it's not down the rabbit hole is the other one with uh Merely Mer- uh, Mer- Marley oh uh, Gosh, the, the Oh uh Marley Matlin? Yes, her. Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: Yeah, yeah, I can't place but, it either.
1: But that movie is the that would be the um I actually worked on it too. Damn it. Um uh but anyway, that one is a very uh, that's a good example of conscious filmmaking which yeah. is it's not spirit- it's spiritual but not faith based or religion based but it is examines life a little bit
2: right right which you know one could argue well all films do that in a way um but this this kind of movement which uh I'm happy to be a part of uh is 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 really interesting and i think it's gaining traction. You know, we started at the Illuminate Film Festival with uh, a program they had called the Conscious Cinema Accelerator, um, (laughs) which, you know, takes a bunch of these films in different stages of development, different stages of the process, and just helps them find an audience. And there's kind of a mentorship program. So it's a a really cool community of filmmakers who are, uh, I think, trying to say something with the attention that they have of an audience. By,
3: so
1: by the way, the movies, yeah. what the bleep do you know?
2: What the bleep do we know? Yes, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. Yeah. had to do it. had to do it, <laughs> which, yeah, it's a great example of, of a film that has similar content that really took off. Although, you know, they're, they're a doc and we're a narrative feature. Mm-hmm. It's something that, that Tom Shadyak, um said that I really gravitated towards. He's like, Listen, you know, if you're going to make a, a quote unquote yeah. spiritual or conscious movie and, you know, it's a, a narrative, it's got to be exciting. It's got to be sexy. It's got to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really ran with that. Mm-hmm. I wanted this, I wanted Ken Show to be uh, just as exciting and as entertaining as it was potentially enlightening and inspiring.
1: And, I, I, and from what I read, I think you've achieved that. So that's good. So, so you went through the, the festival circuit for, what, two
2: years? I went through the festival circuit from, we started uh, late summer, early fall of
3: 2015
2: mm-hmm. uh, through 2016. Mm-hmm. So our last festival was uh, last fall. And then we had a special screening at the Rubin Museum, where we shot for a day. Um, and that was kind of our last public screening, although, who knows? You know, we yeah, of course. Another. But at that point, you know, and I had been kind of looking and trying to navigate the distribution landscape, which was depressing
1: yes uh, so I, uh, that was why i was I was asking this whole uh, that's what I'm leading towards I wanted to get yeah, yeah. I wanted to see what your experience is selling a a spiritual style film with some excitement and some action with no um marquee names in it, and right. i I just love to hear what distributors had to tell you, so everybody listening could understand <laughs> what I preach about on a constant basis. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no. You're you've been dead on uh, <laughs> in what you've said and and what uh, other colleagues have said. It basically comes down to, you know, if you don't play those top five or six festivals, and even if you do, oh, yeah, still, still. I yeah. mean, there are there are plenty of films mm-hmm. uh, that play Sundance that don't get a sale,
1: or or even get any major distribution or even self-distribution right.
2: sometimes it's, right. it's rough. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. But it helps. It helps if you're in those five.
2: Yeah, yeah. 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 And there's certainly an idea that, uh, although this could be debated, uh, vigorously that audiences only want to gravitate towards films, uh, with actors that they know or they've seen before, mm-hmm. which is not, really true not any uh, yeah,
1: and I, i'll agree with you on that it's not as true as it used to be if you're going down a niche market uh right. if you're trying to do mass appeal that's probably not the same you probably do need somebody for a mass appeal movie but for niche like this this is a super niche uh i think it wouldn't need it as much so i would agree with you on that
2: right so i, I got a lot of uh a lot of very positive feedback And, you know, we got, we got close to Tribeca, uh, the head of programming at Tribeca wrote me to tell me as much, which was the the greatest rejection letter I've ever gotten. Mm -hmm. She's like, you guys were really close. I was like, Oh, great.
1: Really? That's just like, like,
2: you know, we debated you guys. half of us wanted, uh, you to play the festival and the other half were like, what is this? Um, but you know, ultimately distributors don't really care Mm -hmm. and, uh, a lot of companies um, really dug the film, but just didn't feel like they could sell it uh, mm-hmm. based on the uh, cachet of the festivals we did play,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and based on uh, the actors mm-hmm. involved. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, I mean my cast <clears throat> is full of oh yeah Emmy and Tony sure. Award winning actors. Uh, yep. you know luminaries of the stage. Mm-hmm. Saw Galja, who starred in Fela, Mm -hmm. is a titan. Mm
3: -hmm. And,
2: uh, you know, this guy puts in a performance that uh, is as good as anything I've ever seen.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Kaylee Ronane, who is my co star, the heroine of the film, uh, I think is going to be a huge star. Mm -hmm. And so we might get lucky in terms of uh, really finding our audience once. One of us gets a big TV show. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 always yeah, yeah.
2: But ultimately, it got to the point where uh, it was frustrating, and I felt like I needed to move on with my life, especially. So you know, I met uh, Jason Brubaker, (laughs) and uh, friend friend of the show. Yeah, the guys over at Distribber. friends of
1: the show. Yeah. <laughs> my I God, how do we not know everybody? I mean, seriously, <laughs> how we've not so had a coffee? True. How we've not had coffee?
2: Seriously, it's so true. Um,
1: did you reach out so- to Jason, or did you just meet him on the on
2: on the on on the road somewhere? I, I ran into him a couple times. I heard him speak um, about Distribber and I and a couple of my other friends who who have indie films were kind of circling. And I looked into it, and it seemed to really make sense mm-hmm. um, in terms of, okay, you know, they're gonna act as the aggregator between mm-hmm. the filmmaker and the platforms mm-hmm. uh, because let's face it, iTunes <clears throat> and Netflix, they don't want to talk to filmmakers. they don't want to talk to the neurotic Oh producers.
1: God, can you imagine?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you know the the plan became very clear and very intuitive. You know, let's get on to one platform. In our case, we released on iTunes now uh, two weeks ago. And, you know, there was a big preamble and a pre-sale and so, a lot of our grassroots marketing and social media efforts to launch the thing.
1: So, yeah. So, let's go back for a second. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So, what was the strategy launching to iTunes? Because I'm literally going to be going down this path with yeah, uh, yeah. Nick and Distriber uh, as well. So, I want everybody in the audience to kind of know what your strategy was uh, with iTunes, and did you only launch on iTunes first, and then you're launching on other platforms? How did you do the pre-sales? All that kind of good stuff.
2: Yeah, it's a great question and uh, a, a great kind of mystery that uh, we're trying to unravel. It's a, it's a little bit like the Wild West.
1: Yeah, it is, very much so.
2: What, what seemed the most intuitive was that, okay, there's one way you could go where you release on all of the platforms at uh, once, or, or at least all of the platforms that don't have any curating system in place. In other words, your iTunes, your Hulu, um, one of the Amazon platforms.
1: Google Play, all those kind of things. Google places.
2: Play, exactly. Yeah. The idea being that you want to give people um, every opportunity to see it based on their particular preference. Um, We opted to release solely on iTunes first for a couple reasons. One of which it seemed to have the most cachet, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows iTunes. It also uh, has potentially the highest price point for people who are really ready to go and buy the movie. Uh, The filmmaker stands to walk away with the most profit. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the split is 70, 30. It's great. And, and distributor, you know, takes an upfront fee per platform, which is not that,
1: it. which is not that much. It's like 900 bucks, 800, 900 bucks per platform. Yes. Or you could buy a package of 10 for like four, five grams, something like that.
2: That's right. It's yeah. a really good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea was, and is to, get as much attention on iTunes and channel all of our focus and all of the eyeballs to just one place. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to see this movie and you didn't already see it on the festival circuit and you weren't already owed a screener because you donated, which Mm -hmm. let's face it, uh, was a lot of people, a lot of my friends, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not the film for free because they donated 25 bucks or more.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, so that, And that's another story, like in terms of uh, playing festivals and kind of blowing your wad a little bit mm-hmm. uh, by showcasing the movie to everybody you know.
1: Yeah, don't do that.
2: A, right. Uh, <laughs> For free. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, we played L.A. and we played New York, and a lot of my friends came to that. And they don't necessarily want to then buy it again on iTunes. But anyway.
3: <laughs> right.
2: The idea is channel all of that attention towards one platform. And the strategy is then to go after the subscription based services like Netflix and Amazon Prime, which do curate. Mm -hmm. And there is not a guarantee that indie filmmakers can get on those platforms, even though for VOD, that seems to be the prize because that's where most of the eyeballs are, Mm -hmm. I think there are more people that would prefer to watch a movie on Netflix or Amazon Prime, subscription services that they're already paying for, Mm -hmm. than to go over to iTunes and put down $12.99 or $14.99.
1: Or even $3.99 to rent it.
2: Right, right. So all of that being considered, um, and especially in light of trying to get Netflix's attention, Mm-hmm. We thought, all right, let's release on iTunes first and um, you know, see what we can do there.
1: Mm-hmm. And did you do a strategy to kind of do a lot of pre-sales to kind of rev up the, yeah. the, the placement that you are placed within your sub-genre or even, God forbid, even get it ranked closer to the top 10 or 20 of the main page?
2: Right. Yeah. That that is still the strategy, and I opted to do a month long presale period,
3: mm-hmm.
2: which I'm really glad that that I did. A because you can kind of offer it at a discount.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we offered the movie for nine ninety nine in presale, mm-hmm. and now we're selling for fourteen ninety nine. Um, you know, nineteen ninety nine. You've got like no, that's, that's huge. X-Men yeah. And, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Um. So. The, the pre-sale period allowed us to really kind of ramp up. And a lot of movies now, whether it's uh release of billboards or the trailers, they have a good month of um, trying to get in your face. Mm-hmm. And so we use that month to really ramp up our social media presence and uh, email newsletters and, you know, rally the troops and the cast and to, to kind of reach out to their networks as well. A little hack that, that people should know is that <clears throat> all of those pre-sales in the month before you go mm-hmm. live on iTunes, apparently count towards mm-hmm. the first day of sales. Mm-hmm. So that when you go live, it's as if in terms of the, um, the algorithms that iTunes uses to kind of boost the title higher on people's lists, mm-hmm. um, they're going to use those pre-sales as kind of those first-day sales. Mm-hmm. So, If you do like 100 pre-sales, it looks as if to the algorithm that on day one, you've got 100 sales.
1: So let me ask you a question. Are, are, could you share a little bit of rough numbers with us so we kind of get an idea? Is that? Are you feel comfortable with that?
2: Yeah, 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 sure. Um, so, we are uh, we are in the hundreds, and mm-hmm. we're trying to. Uh, and you know, it's it's hard to tell exactly, because it, it's it's subjective, or it mm-hmm. seems so.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There isn't necessarily a formula for what iTunes is going to kind of perk up about Mm -hmm. and uh, like you need a certain number to kind of get on new and noteworthy Mm -hmm. or um, notable indies, which for your listeners are two places that I think filmmakers can hope to uh, reach or to to get on that list. Because when users go onto iTunes to look for a film, Mm -hmm. there is literally an endless sea Mm -hmm. of movies um, in every genre. And uh, on the kind of front homepage of iTunes movies, there are certain sections, especially for indies, that we have um, the opportunity to kind of be featured on. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's hard to tell exactly what the threshold is that a filmmaker needs to reach by a certain amount of time. I think there are a lot of factors, um, not least of which is what, what's happening in the world and politically
3: mm-hmm.
2: in the zeitgeist. And I couldn't have planned this, but we, uh, we feature in Kensho, among many other things, the uh, refugee resettlement crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like the B storyline. And the International Rescue Committee...
1: Yeah, it's that on the trailer, yeah.
2: Yeah, relocates refugees all over the world, um, including from Sudan, mm-hmm. which is one of the...
3: Uh, Six, yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, as part of the uh, travel ban. Right, right. And so all of this is kind of happening while we're releasing the film, which uh, was fortuitous, and I, I couldn't have planned, uh, but something that I'm very passionate about. Mm-hmm. So... We're also hoping that that some of that social relevance uh, is interesting to somebody um, and might help us in in getting uh, more exposure.
1: So the so on your first day, did you get on any of those lists? Because I saw an email I, I I got magically put on your email list, and uh, I. Uh, <laughs> and I saw that you were ranked fairly high, and you were with a bunch of what? What was the actual list that you were on in iTunes?
2: You know, the uh, we haven't made it onto one of those premium lists, mm-hmm. but um, there, you know, there was a little meme that I sent around, and certainly in that newsletter that I thought was just kind of cool as a as a film geek mm-hmm. that we were listed in the independent section. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, like films that are considered to be independent. <laughs> you yeah, know, not, like not really. Yeah. You, yeah, I, you yeah. and I are independent filmmakers. Yeah. And you got uh,
1: 7 million plus a couple major stars and it's not independent anymore. <laughs>
2: yeah. even even Moonlight, which is an incredible movie and it won the Academy Award.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, one, was it 1.5? Was it, I think it was 1.5, right?
2: Yeah. Our, oh the the budget yeah I think it was about
1: one point five if I if I that's the number I've heard it might be more
2: but, it might be more maybe yeah I don't know mm-hmm. like, is it really an independent movie you know that Brad Pitt produced
1: <sighs> oh he put, oh Brad Pitt produced it yeah it wasn't one point five yeah. it wasn't a point five
2: um anyway anyway so, I, it was just cool uh, last week to kind of be listed next to. Steve McQueen and Lars von Trier mm-hmm. and my buddy Todd Shots who's got a great movie called Lazy Eye. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh, cool. You know, we're we're kind of in with these other um, really talented filmmakers that I admire. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there 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 are a lot of movies, uh, not only on iTunes but everywhere. No, kind of competing with, like you said, uh, Instagram videos and no it's, uh, videos. It's
1: insane. It's insane. Yeah. You've got to create a such, and I think that's why a lot of people and a lot of filmmakers at this point should be focusing on niches, as they say that mm-hmm. the riches are in the niches, and right. it's it's very true because if you, that's the biggest mistake I think filmmakers make is they they try to do a broad broad action movie or a broad. Market movie, and like dude you're not gonna make a dent it's just, mm-hmm. but if you focus on and I always use this this example, like if I'm gonna make the vegan chef movie, like the vegan mm-hmm. chef comedy, you know romantic comedy that's that's what I'm making up there's you can really niche that down and and aim it at that demographic,
2: right, you yeah, know, exactly,
1: as opposed to eighteen through twenty five male like it like you're not gonna hit that demographic. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 meditators, like this is a movie about meditation. let's say. I know this I don't think and Ken, Ken show is not about that specifically, but um but, you know, you, you can a- easily aim it at that demographic.
2: it's true. yeah. I mean, we're we're not about meditation uh, at all, but we are about consciousness <laughs> mm-hmm. and the nature of fulfillment and life purpose. These are kind of big, some would say esoteric ideas, mm-hmm. but their ideas that people with a yoga practice or a meditation practice uh or are just interested in self-development and kind of the nature of reality or what they're meant to be doing with their lives, you know, millennials. Um that's our audience. Mm-hmm. And um I was just given some some great advice at the beginning, like Know who your ideal mm-hmm. man is. Mm-hmm. Scott mm-hmm. McMahon, who mm-hmm. I know you're uh, also Jesus Christ, man. Seriously. <laughs> I actually you I know, don't know Scott personally, but mm-hmm. I've been listening to his stuff and he's he's
1: great. He's uh, over at Film Trooper, guys. You got yeah, he's he's yeah. friend of the show.
2: <laughs> uh, Desmond Devinish too, who I know you <laughs> Yes,
1: with. yes, um, yes as well.
2: He and I, De- Desmond and I met at Film Independent and he also went to NYU. And, you know, we're both exactly the same age and we, mm-hmm. we kind of met. We're like, oh, yeah, I just made a movie. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I also, you know, was in it. Oh, yeah, me too. And I directed it. Yeah, oh, whoa, cool.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it's fun kind of having all of those, you know, Rubenstone, Michael Rubenstone, who you uh, interviewed, who I grew up with. That's on dance, yeah. Same boat. Um, and I think you also talked to Jason Schumann, right?
1: Uh, Jason Sh- yes, I talked to. J- I mean, Jesus Christ,
2: <laughs> Schumann and I are buddies. Uh, you know, of course, through Sebastian and Alex Litvak uh-huh. who's also a student, uh, who's a, a great screenwriter. Uh, but anyway, the <laughs> the advice I got to kind of know your fan and know your audience uh, is really good advice. Uh, mm-hmm. that I think will really help narrow the marketing. Um. Uh, because you're right, you know, you, you can just kind of shotgun it out and hope for the best. But if you can identify where your fans are, who they are, mm-hmm. what they're into, mm-hmm. um, you've got, I think, a much better shot of, of reaching some eyeballs.
1: Yeah, I think it's, there's just such a, there's a lot of work involved. And I think that's something that filmmakers don't really anticipate. Like, you know, when you're doing a feature film and you're going to try to do this grassroots, it's going to take time. Um, to build up that audience, unless you have that audience already, um, but it can be profitable if you keep the budget low and put in the hours.
2: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it, is a, it is a grind. It is a hustle. It is an indie film yeah. hustle.
1: That is that is why I call the the show and the website indie film hustle because man, we're always we're always hustling. We're always getting out there. Now, I wanted to talk to you real quickly about meditation. Um, because, and I know we could probably talk for days about this, but, um, for me, I've, I've had meditation in and out of my life for probably the last 15 years. Um, and I always find it very, uh, when I do tap into it, uh, it's very, it's centering and relaxing in a chaotic world. And the more chaotic it becomes for me with all the millions of things that are going on in my life, um, meditation, I always find that sets settles me, but my biggest issue, and I think it's a biggest issue for a lot of people who are either trying to get into meditation or not, is your your own mind's like, ah, you don't have time for that. You just got to keep going. Uh, you don't have time for that. Yeah, keep going. And settling down, even when you do sit down to meditate, just kind of the quieting of the mind and quieting of, uh, you know, centering yourself. Um, can you talk a little bit about, and I know we're now going off filmmaking, guys, but I think this is very helpful to filmmakers, because meditation is a movement, honestly, that's going across the world. And the benefits uh, are even being, um, are being proven by science at this point in the game, things that the monks have known for millennia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so can you, can you kind of guide, uh, guide us, no pun intended, guide us a little mm-hmm. bit uh, in regards to that for anybody who's interested in meditation, what kind of tips you can do and what kind of meditation you do?
2: Of course. So I, uh, have been practicing a technique called Vedic meditation Mm -hmm. for about a decade. And I was lucky enough to travel with an apprentice, my teacher, a very famous meditation teacher named Maharishi Vyasanand, Mm -hmm. AKA Tom Knowles. Mm -hmm. And I traveled with him for two years. This was kind of my journey in the wilderness. Got it. Um, You know, I grew a mustache. I didn't quite grow a full beard, but I did grow a mustache. Um, And he trained me to teach. Yeah, We went to India, and then later my Jedi training was completed in Bali for three months.
1: (laughs) So much more exciting than all (laughs) of (laughs) them.
2: And so I've been teaching this technique now that I love and that has really influenced my life as an artist and as a man. Um, I've been teaching now for five years. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Now there are many, many different techniques of meditation out there. Mm -hmm. I think what has contributed to, uh, perhaps some of the confusion in terms of, well, I know meditation is good for me, but how do I start? How do I do it? What do I do? Um, a lot of that confusion comes from, uh, the different techniques, many of which require focus, concentration, effort, like you said, you know, sitting down and trying to clear the mind of all thoughts, which is a bit of a misnomer, right? So Mm -hmm. telling a meditator to clear his or her mind of all thoughts is a little bit like saying, whatever you do right now, don't think of a white polar bear. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. So Now, this is not to say that stepping beyond thinking activity and stepping beyond body sensation, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. is not a real phenomenon. It is. It is a beautiful phenomenon where one can saturate themselves in a state of creativity and fulfillment and awareness of simply being aware. This is tremendously useful. I think for everyone, because it's de-exciting the nervous system and unwinding a ton of stress, but especially for creative people, because you are suddenly that individual wave settling down on this kind of oceanic state of consciousness and really feeling the true um, profundity of your creative power. So that experience is real right? Stepping beyond thinking activity is real, but it's not the goal of meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, and it doesn't happen by virtue of the meditator trying to make it happen. So what we, what we need, uh, and I think what I've found is most useful, uh, especially for a lot of my students who are filmmakers or in the film industry is something mechanical, and incredibly easy to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Something that allows the meditator to sit comfortably in a chair, which is really important. None of this having to sit perfectly with an erect spine in some sort of mm-hmm. pose, mm-hmm. You know, full lotus position. Mm-hmm. None of that. We want to be absolutely comfortable, back supported, and practicing a very, very simple, nuanced Sophisticated, elegant, but counterintuitive technique. It's not what most people think it is, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: (laughs) especially if what they think meditation is involves concentration and clearing the mind of all thoughts. Mm -hmm. So, giving people a very specific learned technique, and when they learn this from a Vedic meditation teacher like myself or my colleagues, uh, it's done so in four sessions over four days, typically mm-hmm. ninety minutes each day, so that you're completely self-sufficient and absolutely trained by the end of those four days to be able to do it on your own, without an app, without having to listen to some, you know, Indian music or lighting incense or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm drinking kombucha or wearing mala beads or anything like that.
1: Nothing wrong with kombucha. I'm just saying.
2: There's nothing wrong with <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, especially the gingerade. That's, that's you bad. know, that's my fa- Funny you just say that's actually my favorite. <laughs> so good. Um, so, you know, giving, giving people a very specific technique to practice and then making it a part of their routine, just like eating and sleeping and brushing your teeth and showering, and giving them an opportunity to really rest the body deeper than sleep. What, what a lot of people don't realize is that these states of meditation that we can uh, mechanize ourselves into mm-hmm. are deeper rest than horizontal sleep. Yeah. And this is where we see all of the studied benefits, lower blood pressure, cholesterol, lower risk of heart disease, normalizing of sleeping patterns, you know, greater energy productivity. It's by virtue of resting the body very, very deeply and removing onboard stress from deep within the system. And that's it. And it affects almost every area of our lives, our creativity, our relationships, uh, you know, our responsibilities, it's there's really no aspect that it doesn't touch.
1: And it does kind of open up the creative channels and allows you to flow a little bit more as a writer or as a filmmaker in general.
2: I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, and not only will uh, ideas come to you in meditation, something that David Lynch, a famous yeah. filmmaking- uh, Meditator. Meditator <laughs> has has coined. And by the way, you know, Stanley Kubrick and George Lucas and Clint Eastwood and uh, Martin Scorsese. And These guys all meditate. On and on, they're all meditators.
1: Had, uh, I've studied, not, I i I've studied Kubrick for for years. I have never once heard meditation come up. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's not only that uh, ideas come to you while you're practicing, mm-hmm. but there is a, an integration process that happens with states of consciousness whereby your waking state and the eyes open state becomes more creative and intuitive. Uh, and that's really where you need it. I mean, when I was writing the movie, I would get so many ideas in yoga class I would have to have like a pad of paper next to my yoga mat. And, and my yoga teacher would just kind of roll her eyes every time I got down from downward facing dog to drop something down mm-hmm. because I couldn't turn it off. I could not turn off right. all of the ideas that were just naturally flowing spontaneously, mm-hmm. uh, I think, from regular practice of these ancient techniques.
1: That's fascinating, and I know we could talk about meditation and the filmmaking and the creative process for days. Maybe we'll do another podcast about that, <laughs> or an o- or an online course. But <laughs> so uh, I have, I'll ask you the last uh, three questions. I always ask all of my uh, all of my guests. What advice would you give uh, a filmmaker uh, or actor uh, just starting out?
2: I would say no. Not only uh, what it is you're doing, but why you're doing it and how you want to do it. So the why and the how become infinitely as interesting as the what. And those, those things can change, too. You know, when I was an actor just starting out, uh, I knew that I loved doing it. I knew that I loved being on stage um, or in front of a camera, but I didn't necessarily have a bigger picture in mind of why I was doing it and how I wanted to move through the world and through the creative. Uh, those those are really important pieces of the process. It's not necessarily enough to know that you are compelled or obsessed. Mm -hmm. By our artwork, which many of us are. As soon as you can kind of filter in, well, what is the bigger goal here? You know, am I trying to help other people? Hopefully. Mm -hmm. I think once we can put our artwork or any of our work into the context of giving to others and helping others, you know, alleviate suffering increase happiness. Then I think we're we're doing something much much bigger than ourselves.
1: Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn whether in life or in the film
3: business?
2: Oh, well, that's a good one. <laughs> I think uh, not taking myself so seriously and having fun was a really big lesson. Mm-hmm. And I, I still have to remind myself because, you know, we can get so serious. Mm-hmm. This is my work. This is my art. Mm-hmm. I have to often remind myself, hey, buddy, you know, have fun. Don't forget.
1: <laughs> We're in the film business. I mean, for God's yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, how lucky are we to be able to do this? Uh, when you get to that set, Like we were talking about before, even though you've prepared for days and weeks and months, let it all go and just enjoy. Just have fun. That is a really profound lesson uh, to enjoy the ride because most of it is this process. And uh, where people get into trouble is looking for fulfillment on the other side of that film release or that achievement or that big job or or the relationship. And, uh, fulfillment doesn't lie on the other side of any of those things. It exists inside of you first. And if you can cultivate that state of fulfillment, right. And then instead of importing it from the world, export it to the world Through your work Mm -hmm. and through your relationships and achievements, it is infinitely better for you and for everybody else. And it's much more fun.
1: Absolutely. Uh, That's a great, actually great lesson. Um, And can you answer this last question? What are three of your favorite films of all time?
2: Three favorite films of all time. They would have to be 2001, Space Odyssey. Of course. Uh I'm very partial to Richard Donner's Superman.
1: Yeah, I love that one.
2: Because it really started the journey for me. Uh, you know, I must have been four years old. And there was this character that I loved and admired so much. You know, I wanted to be Superman. And yet there was a part of my brain that for the first time understood that there was this other guy Named Christopher Reeve, who was playing the role. And, you know, who should I be more thankful to? The character or this guy whose job it was to inspire me? Uh, that was a very profound inflection point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do. Um, I love Superman and Superman Two: The Donner Cut.
2: Yes, yes. It's also very good. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> We could do without three and four, but one and two
2: What <laughs> was four the quest for peace. Yeah. Four was
1: the quest for peace when he wanted to get rid of all nuclear weapons on the planet and he fought some sort of golden dude that they, that like Sleuther created out of a strand of his hair. Right. it was just it was it was done by the Canon film company back in the day. It was, so basically it became uh, Warner Brothers sold it off to Canon to make another movie. It was insane. I don't even know how that happened. Um uh, but anyway. Very cool. Uh and that was at two or three?
2: That was two. Mm-hmm. You know, number three, it's it's uh gosh, it's so hard, as you know, to narrow it down. I mean Sure, sure, sure. I think probably uh Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh you know mm-hmm. not to, to reference my namesake, but uh this I think for a lot of us at that age was like the ultimate movie experience. Mm
3: -hmm. I mean, along
2: with star Wars and the rest of the, the Lucas Spielberg canon,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. man, those were exciting times. And the fact that, that those filmmakers are still working and those characters are (laughs) still alive and viable. Yeah. Yeah. Save for, you know, Han Solo, spoiler alert.
1: Yeah, Although exactly.
2: His, uh, the, the kind of young Han Solo movie also looks like it's going to be cool.
1: Yeah, it's good. But the character still will be with us for quite some time.
2: The character I think. will live forever. And, you know, same with Indiana Jones and Superman, and they can reinvent Batman as many times as they want. I will mm-hmm. still show up.
1: I know. I know. Though this uh, though this last incarnation was a little rough, but that's just me. <laughs> it was rough. It was rough.
2: That's such but a rough movie. <laughs> it really speaks to uh, our interest and excitement for archetypes and for story. You know, we are a species that that gravitate towards story. And and what kind of an important exciting job that we as filmmakers do mm-hmm. to be able to uh, be purveyors of story and of consciousness to to shift perspective and to make people laugh and cry in those two hours in the dark.
1: And, Brad, where can people find you online?
2: So the film's website is Kensho Film, K-E-N-S-H-O-F-I-L-M.com. Mm-hmm. And we're also, of course, now on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Ken Show at the Bedfellow mm-hmm. on iTunes, and then my meditation work is mdt8 dot As in, M is in Mary, D is in David, T is in Tom, eight. Mm-hmm. Short for meditate. Very cool. Uh, and those are the those are the two main hubs that people can track me down.
1: Fantastic. And I'll put all those links in the show notes for you guys. So definitely check it out. Brad, man, thank you so, so much. It was an enlightening conversation, no pun intended. It
2: great, Alex. <laughs> I really, really
1: enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Man, Brad was awesome to talk to. A very enlightening conversation. Uh, I actually need to get back into meditation. I need I need some more peace in my life. It's a little bit crazy for me. And I think finding and centering yourself as an artist and as a filmmaker, and as an entrepreneur, is very, very important. And uh, I, I might talk more about that in the coming uh, months and weeks. But uh, I, I wanted to thank Brad for being on the show. And hopefully this inspires you guys to show you that it can be done. It can be done. And I will be doing something similar with This as Meg, uh, hopefully in the summer. And you guys will know more about that. And my journey will be documented extensively on that process uh, moving forward as well. And, just want just want say something real quick before we go. There's a hundred and fifty episodes of this this podcast, and it's been an amazing run so far. Uh, I plan to keep going as long as I can physically, <laughs> but uh, I really thank you guys so much for all your support and I get on a daily basis just tons of emails and messages on Facebook and twitter and 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 thanking me for the show and saying that we're inspiration to a lot of filmmakers out there and at the end of the day guys you are an inspiration to me and we we're in this together and I truly appreciate it and as I my career as my career continues to move forward and the different adventures that I get into I will report back from the the um, the trenches as they say and uh, and let you know what I discover on my journey as a filmmaker and as an artist and hopefully some things I learn along the way will help you guys on your journey so thank you again so so much for all the love all the support and don't forget if you want to get anything or look at anything that we talked about in this episode head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 150 for the show notes and guys keep that hustle going keep that dream alive and I'll talk to you soon thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com that's I-N-D-I-E F-I-L-M H-U-S-T-L-E
0: dot com